Hey, it's Friday, January 31st, 2020. This is the Android Central Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. And this week, Andrew Martinick and Jerry Hildenbrand. Guys, what is going on? Dream team back two weeks in a row. Yeah, man. Hey, we, hey. You know, it's just like, so, you know, inside baseball, uh, this year I was committed to getting, a, you know, a regular set of guests on the show. And I was like, okay, January 1st, this year, it's going to be the year that every week we have a, a guest booked. And then, uh, you know, January is not a slow month in the no. world of Android and Google. And uh, I just didn't get around to it. So it's been it's been one of those things where it's on my to-do list. And, you know, I keep wanting to bring back favorite guests and, and ask new ones. But uh, that just doesn't always happen. So Homework right off the bat. Who do you want to guest on the Android Central podcast? AC that, that you think uh, that we could get for the podcast? <laughs> yeah, don't ask MKBHD because I don't think he'd come. But uh, anybody else maybe would. My neighbor Dale, he he literally took out a hornet's nest with a tennis racket and a can of hairspray and a big lighter. Yeah, those are the kind of interviews that I like doing. People who do really interesting stuff <laughs> with baseball bats and uh, hairspray. Yeah, he, he lit it um, on fire and then knocked it out of the tree and then ran. It was I'm not even joking. That sounds It's the best crazy. thing to sit out on the porch and watch ever. Man, your life, Jerry. I just I don't I don't get it. Um all right, so this this week, you know, it's it's Galaxy S20 like so soon. It's just it's happening, Andrew. Yeah. Let's dive right in. Um we know a lot more now, even than we did last week. We know definitively that the phone will be released on March 6th instead of the rumored March 13th. We know pretty much that uh, there will be three models, including a Galaxy S20 Ultra, which is kind of wild because mm-hmm. this camera system is going to be crazy. And it's going to launch with Android 10. It'll be probably an updated version of One UI 2. Um and it kind of in in my like the the weirdest thing to me is that it puts the Galaxy S20 Plus in the weird position of being the middle child that nobody wants. Yeah. So that's let's talk it, about that. That's actually the the most interesting thing is how it, everything is being positioned it seems to kind of move up uh, a level and it, in one way it's very smart because Samsung seems to be taking the Apple approach with the iPhone 11 where Instead of doing a Galaxy S10e, as in like the light version or something like that, or like the iPhone XR, it's doing the Galaxy S20 as the lowest model. And of course, we'll probably have an S20 Lite or whatever somewhere down the road, but that's going to be a different model entirely. It's kind of doing this base S20 and then building up from there. Whereas with the S10, it really felt like even the the standard S10 was kind of lost in the middle and the s10 plus was like the one and so they're kind of ratcheted up like two levels where now the the plus version is kind of going to be no man's land and everybody especially us nerds are going to be focused on the ultra which isn't even it's it's not the same phone they're doing a completely different camera array uh it may be the only one with a micro sd card there are going to be substantial size differences I think that we're going to end up focusing a lot on just the ultra as like as the one to to get and aspire for. I don't know, man. That price tag on it. it well, yeah. The, what we think the price tag will be. 
I mean, what's your limit, Jerry? Like, I mean, we've we've talked about this so much where every every single year it's like, oh, it's going to be nine, you know, seven hundred, then nine hundred, and then eleven hundred. Now, like, it, there is no upper limit. We know no. this because of all the you know the the foldable phones that have come out. If I did not work here, and I was to buy my phone outright, five hundred bucks, I'd be using a Nokia, or you know, a, a, it, I guess I'd be using one of those cheap Nokia's Pixel because 3A. there's nothing else. Yeah, a three A that would have been my perfect phone if I didn't work here. All right, so there are Pixel 3As in the world. There are Nokia 7.2s. There is no shortage of mid-range devices. Uh, The delta between mid-range and and high-end is just getting bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. So what's what's interesting to me is that Samsung seems to have done away after one year with its e-experiment, right? With this cheaper, smaller, um, more accessible Galaxy meant to take on the cheaper more accessible iphone and Which andrew I, you even when you reviewed the galaxy s10 e you called it the iphone 10r of the android world yeah and yet it seems like that didn't really pan out you know they could have done they could have gotten a lot closer to that in terms of you know trying to grab that mass uh you know segment of the market if the s10 e would have gone big and cheap which ended up kind of being the the mold that i uh, that the iphone has really succeeded in at that lower price point with the 10r and with the new 11 it's the big cheap one and it presents way better value i'm not sure if they're going to be able to get a if samsung's going to do slightly better with that because the s20 should you know still be large it's not going to be the compact one necessarily uh by whatever we consider compact by modern standards <laughs> very few phones are um but i think just the branding and the positioning and the price is already going to make it a different uh equation because we're talking about probably $900 to start for the the S20 and i i want to make it clear to everyone listening before you start sending daniel emails I think it's great that Samsung wants to build a phone that is so kick-ass that it's worth 2000 bucks. I have no problem with that because if you have $2,000 worth of disposable income and want to buy a phone with it, Samsung makes one that's, that's worth your money. But in a perfect world, the last thing that Samsung announces is, oh, we're still going to sell the uh, S10e as a new product and support it for another three more years and here is your budget model that you might have been looking for well yeah that would they be definitely my perfect world the, yeah they're definitely not going to extend the i mean uh, i think it would be perfect too but they're not going to extend the support life of those but that is a good point samsung always keeps selling the older models you can always buy them unlocked directly from samsung mm-hmm. or absolutely from amazon and you're going to be able to get them for 40% off what they were originally. And in most cases, they're still really good, capable devices, especially if you only plan to use them for maybe 18 months or something like that, uh, just till the end of their their software life. So that's the thing. Samsung's been better about supporting its older phones. It's been yeah. keeping even three-year-old, four-year-old phones updated with security patches, and it's giving two... Uh, platform updates to every device so 
I don't think the Galaxy S8 will get Android 10, but the Galaxy S9 will definitely get Android 10, has been receiving Android yep. 10. And the Galaxy S8 should continue to get security patches for another year. So we're we're at a good space right now, I think, with Samsung software, right? Nobody's going to complain. Nobody should complain about how One UI functions. It's just a matter of whether you care about the actual bump in platforms, and fewer and fewer people do these days unless you really follow this stuff like we do. Right. I I have, was so hard on Samsung for so many years about their software. So I want to, you know, they've done 180 degree turnaround. I love it. And that I think they're the best Android OEM because of well, those. Which is good because they're basically the only Android <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but they continue to surprise me that budget phones are getting you know, continuous, maybe not every month, you know, security patches. That's, I, I'm not real concerned if I get the next version of the of an operating system for free, but keep the one you sold me up to date and, and more secure, and I'm happy. And Samsung is doing a hell of a job at that. Good on you. Yeah, the only complaint you can have with the software at this point is if you just straight up don't like the design and kind of how... Right, heavy-handed it is, but that's just always going to be the case. You know, you're going to have your tastes about the design. But uh, when I just wrote up my review of One UI two on that, you know, using on the S10 series, obviously the the nice thing is that they integrated all of Google's updates in Android 10 flawlessly. Everything Good. that everything that you know are the the tentpole features of Android 10, which there aren't a ton. But the way the new permissions model works and the gestures and dark mode, like they just took it all and put it in there and it works properly. It doesn't feel tacked on. They didn't leave anything out. They didn't try to duplicate anything um, more so than they, you know, already duplicate things in Android 8 and 9. But uh, like they deserve some praise for that in in that they're they're doing it properly and then rolling it out to, you know, every phone they made in the last two years. They've, They've learned a lot and they've gotten really good at it. They've gotten good at security patches, too. Yep. Yep. I don't know. I also just think it's about scale, right? This is the company that has managed to figure out the really delicate balance between the carrier market, the unlocked market, the the major differences <clears throat> Excuse me, between the North American market, which is really, really carrier-centric, the European market, which is less so. And the Asian market where, you know, it's really the consumer has most of the power as far as I know. Like the, the amount of choice in countries like India and China is just massive. Yeah. And uh, Samsung cannot afford anymore to play it, you know, to, to just play by their brand, which is strong, but it certainly isn't as strong as they would like to think in, in that part of the world. Only so, in South Korea where they make you. Buy a Samsung phone. <laughs> You're legally required yeah. to buy a Samsung or an unless LG you work phone. for LG. But yeah, yeah, I saw I saw a lot of LG phones when I was in Seoul, and it was a little surprising because it was clearly more than I'd ever seen in in a city <laughs> collectively before, <but> anywhere else. <laughs> pretty much, um, but I mean, LG just is a massive company in South Korea in, in a, from a consumer perspective outside of just appliances right when we think of lg here we think of appliances and we think of tvs but their lg u plus is is a carrier 
they are very much in the manufacturing business. They make like large machinery. LG is just a huge company uh, the way that Samsung is a huge company, but they're more present in culture in Korea than uh, than we give them credit for outside of the country, whereas Samsung has just managed to be ubiquitous all over the world. And, you know, one thing that where that's, you know, come through with Samsung in North America is their ability to just for like they've gone past the carriers in in such a way where you can just buy the phones unlocked day one from Samsung and Amazon. And they've even done Samsung online exclusive versions for the different colors and extra storage and things like that. And that's really good. Being able to know for sure that you can just send someone to Samsung.com and they could just buy the thing or Amazon with you know their one-day prime shipping is is great when you also know that if you you know don't want to deal with that or you want to buy it in store or whatever you can also go to every single carrier and they'll cut you their 24 month financing deal or their buy one get one and you know all that other crap like they're not mutually exclusive you could do both of them and that's something you know we've seen lots of manufacturers say that the carrier gambit's not worth it and go fully unlocked in on amazon uh and we've seen other you know carrier exclusives still with like the OnePlus 7 Pro McLaren edition 5G. Oh you forgot the um, T my friend. Uh oh 70 70 Pro 5G McLaren edition I think is the way it is. Uh so we've seen both of those but we've seen very few where they get to where they they handle both so well. You know what I yeah. I hope we see with the S20 a big Microsoft integration again not only just selling with the Microsoft store, but preloaded with Microsoft's I apps bet we for will. Android, which I, I'm not a Microsoft fan of their, you know, I just don't like their products. That's just me. But on Android, Microsoft's apps are amazingly well done. And, you know, since there's no such thing as a Windows phone until next year sometime, People that miss that experience can buy an S20 and basically get that experience, and that's awesome. So, I mean, this comes back to the duplication issue that we talked about last week, where Samsung is uh, duplicating a lot of features that Google forces OEMs to include on their phones. And, it, you know, we, we got a couple of emails from people that weren't happy with our take on it because... We're sort of putting Google at the top of the the funnel, and then Samsung is below Google, and Samsung sort of has to be subservient um, in in many ways when it comes to what they include on their phones. Because if they mm-hmm. agree to the Google um, the the GMS, what what's the term um, the agreement that they make with with manufacturers oh. to include Google uh, Play services? Now, well, me and Andrew are, are drawing a blank, but GMS. But you know what I'm saying. Every it, single yeah. manufacturer, if they want Google services, they have to agree to a bunch of preloads. They have to put a Google folder on the homepage. Yeah, they have home to, screen placement. Um, you have to include certain things, and they have to they have to put a hard stop on various aspects of of their skin. For example, all Android manufacturers, if they ship a phone with Android 10, have to include Google's gestures. They have to make their notification shade uh, white, for instance. They can't put, you know, they have to include a dark mode. They can't just include a dark mode by default. So 
Google sets a bunch of design frameworks and they have to work within those frameworks. And I think that makes Android a more homogenous, but a much more approachable operating system. Yeah, that's that's done because every app in the Play Store needs to work. Right. And we've seen many, many times, you know, a first load of a Xiaomi phone or something before they implemented these these design changes, you'd have like a black theme, but some apps would have a white notification. Yeah. And it would just look terrible. So Google wants to stamp out all of that inconsistency. So, you know, when you say, oh, I'm happy that they'll they're gonna, you know, load Microsoft apps, I guess that's true, but that's again duplication. And it's hard to fault Samsung for wanting this. It's a business decision, right? They're making money from Microsoft. Yep. But at the same time, it forces us as consumers to contend with Google Docs and Microsoft Word pre-installed on the same phone. It, it forces us to contend with, you know, Samsung experiences competing with Google, with Google experiences and oftentimes asking you which one you want to load the first time you tap on that, on that icon. Mm-hmm. And I still think that this is something that Google needs to take a harder stand on. You know, it's it's like we hear about it on the other side. Well, I don't know about a harder stand. It's maybe more of like, I, I know it's going to suck, but during setup, making that setup process longer and inclusive right. of like, choose which one of these you want. And I know Google's never going to do it, but one of the options needs to be, I want Microsoft Word, not Google Docs. Because right now, the only right. thing that happens on a Samsung phone is, okay, you get that screen, which of these Samsung apps do you want to install? And it'll give you some some of the extra Samsung stuff like Samsung Calculator and Samsung Calendar or you know whatever. And you can say no to those, but then right below that is, you get all of these great Google services and there's no checkbox to uncheck them. Right, right. Like, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm Google Master Race here. Like, not at all. I do not want Google Docs for you if you don't ever use it. I would prefer you have the option of choosing between the two. I'm just saying that in the current framework where there's this tension between Google and manufacturers and manufacturers push up right to the edge of what's allowed and Google then pushes a little bit back and eventually we find some sort of equilibrium, consumers lose. Ultimately, because it's about two trillion dollar companies fighting it out over which of their business deals gets the most access to our our fingertips. And that is not in our best interest. I mean, the only thing that I can use to support Jerry's argument about bring, bringing the Microsoft apps in is that those were coming in as a replacement for Samsung's own versions of those. So... You know, they're removing their own cloud service and adding the OneDrive app. They're removing their own, you know, whatever white label document viewer and adding um, Google or uh, Microsoft Word. You know, they're they're not trip like they're you're not getting triplicate of everything. All of a sudden, Microsoft is replacing Samsung stuff because they can choose whether they want to do that or not. But Google could fix this. And, and they have in, in the EU with the web browser. Uh, Chrome is on your phone, whether you say you want it there or not. It just doesn't run. It's required as part of the Android framework because that's how uh, Twitter shows you a 
a website in inside right. the Twitter app. It uses Chrome, you know, a, I don't want to get too technical here, but it needs Chrome to be installed. And No, I mean, a web view is a web view, right? Like, this is this is mobile operating system 101. Right, right. But, but they replaced the AOSP WebKit browser for web view with Chrome. Right, because they they also want to include, like, you know, protect you from phishing and that kind of stuff. So they, they need the, the entire Chrome back end. They just hide it. It's there. You never see it. If you choose Firefox as your default browser or Opera or whatever, Chrome is just, it, it, you never even know it's there. The operating system is the size it is, whether these apps are there or not. That, that space is reserved in yeah. the system apps. So it's not like it's costing you any space. It just stays out of your way. There's no reason Google Google couldn't do that with uh, Google Drive, which you have to have. That's part of Android backup. Uh, the home, you know, home screen on your Pixel. They could sell Pixels in a Microsoft store and let you choose Microsoft's Home app if you wanted to. I kind of agree with Daniel, though. We'll never see it happen, but it could. They just don't yeah, want to. I mean, isn't that exactly what we would would hope would happen we i mean we don't need to go to the full nuclear option where you have like actual check boxes during setup of what you want to install and not install but we do we have that in the eu i don't but like that's they're never going to do that unless every country around the world enacts some kind of uh you know legislation on them in order to force them to do that they were obviously not going to go out of their way to do that um without that happening but why i mean we just have to go slightly closer to that and like Jerry was saying like bake things in you're not just you're not going to be able to get rid of them no matter what give me a perfect way to just hide them just the same the same way that there's all this stuff in the background that you have no use for uh the real issue is just the visual cruft of it all of having the you know it's the open up the samsung app drawer and you have calendar calendar calculator calculator contacts contacts you know all the way down the list you have all these duplicates make it easier to just hide those things um the the problem is there's so much of this stuff both from google's side and from the manufacturer side that can't be uninstalled can't even be disabled the best you can do is install a third-party launcher and then hide it in the launcher and go through and set all your default apps like that's a really clunky way to do it and there could be an easier way to do it that also keeps all of the stuff there everybody can generally be happy because it's it's there it doesn't need to be reinstalled it just needs to be revealed there's an actual example of just that andrew when a verizon first sold the iphone way back what a hundred years ago uh verizon (laughs) verizon navigator came pre-installed it had to Oh uh, yeah. Fun. You just didn't you didn't know it was there. You could go into the app store and install Verizon Navigator if you wanted to, if you wanted to bring it into the UI. But in order to be able to use navigation on Verizon's network, uh VZ Nav, that's the name of the app, it had to be installed. So Apple put it in there and just hit it. And nobody knew or cared. Everybody just loved it. You know, Google Maps worked, anything that worked you wanted worked and if you kept that phone long enough to upgrade apple maps worked kind of because 
we're we're talking yeah and i like it is a solution because we're talking about such a small number of things it's really just this handful of apps that overlap with i mean google doesn't have a massive pre-install requirement it, it's it's seven eight nine apps something like that like user-facing apps it's not it's not like they're pre-installing 30 apps that we have to contend with there, there are just a small handful of apps that Android needs to run. Uh, Google does, at the last part of the setup, at least on a, a Pixel phone, uh, they, they do try to, you know, get you to install other stuff. You know, that last screen where you can, you know, look at other apps you may want to choose and go through, and they're, they're all Google apps, and you can install, you know, whatever they're offering you as a choice. But... There are a handful that have to be there, but they don't have to be exposed to the user. So I, I guess the question is, is Samsung doing it um, in a respectful way? You know, I, I think about a company like OnePlus. Like OnePlus is here for its core audience, right? It, it, it wants to make sure that every single customer that buys a OnePlus phone from its website is happy. But a OnePlus phone sold at T-Mobile has a couple of disadvantages. It has to deal with T-Mobile bloatware and the updates come later. So a, a OnePlus phone that goes through the same distribution process as a Samsung phone on a carrier is subject to the same rules right. and limitations. And it it almost undermines to some extent the, um, the advantage of getting a clean and fast OnePlus phone in the first place. I'm not saying it's it becomes a bad phone when it's, a T-Mobile version. I'm just saying that it it's also, um, it, you know, it suffers from the same issues that a Samsung phone suffers from. And if you buy a brand new unlocked Samsung phone from the company directly, it's a hell of a lot cleaner out of the box. Um, you know, there's a there's a lot less duplication, and you don't have to contend with like Verizon's messaging app or AT and T's, uh, whatever like hub app that also happens to want to sell you stickers. Like it just it doesn't have all that crap. Yeah, I, you know, that's a trade-off for making them easier to buy. That's the way I see it. Uh, you know, you can go to T-Mobile and buy a OnePlus 7. Uh, you, if you've still got that jump thing, you, you don't have to pay them a dime. You just give them your old phone and walk out with a new one. And the price you pay for that is five T-Mobile apps, and you get updated whenever T-Mobile feels like they want to update. So I understand why it happens. Uh, I think Samsung's done a really good job outside of the carrier's own apps. The, the phone you, a Samsung phone you buy on AT and T, is the same as a Samsung phone you buy on T Mobile. Outside of T Mobile and AT and T's apps, if you could get rid of those. Uh, and and get the phone unlocked. You could just jump between carriers. They're the same phone. It didn't used to be especially that way. if it's an eSIM. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's my that's that's my dream. Is that you can just go between carriers easily. You don't have to sign up for long term plans. You're just like, hey, I'm in this state this week. I want Verizon because it's better here. And sign up, and it's not going to you know penalize you. You won't have to worry about long-term commitments. You just sign up, you have a couple of days of data or a week or two, and then you go back and you're like, T-Mobile's better here. So I don't know. That's my dream, but I don't think it'll happen anytime soon. Definitely a dream. 
All right, let's talk about Huawei because this conversation actually mm. dovetails into something that happened yeah. with Huawei this week. I loved our headline on this, our eventual headline. <laughs> yeah, right, because it was updated by me later on. Yeah. So Huawei says it will, quote, never go back to using Google Apps on its phones. And then the update was, actually, that's not true. So Huawei's uh, region manager for Austria gave an interview to a, uh, I believe it was a German language uh, newspaper or website, and basically said that now that Huawei is so invested in this um, Huawei mobile services that it's got its app gallery growing, it's investing in a lot of um, of bringing a lot of developers to it, that it really doesn't have any incentive to wait until this trade ban is resolved between the U.S. and China with Huawei and the crosshairs, and that. You know, if and when Huawei is lifted from these sanctions or, or removed from the entity list and is allowed to work with Google again, they just won't do it just in case it ever happens again and they're going to have to pull Google services from its future phones. And this came out and obviously caused a stir because here is an on-the-record claim that Huawei has really just removed any interest in its phones from the West. And... A few hours later, they obviously had to walk them back. So, Andrew, give us the two scenarios here. Give us the scenario where Huawei does just walk away from Google forever and say, okay, now we're going to uh, try to make this work. We're trying to make Fetch happen. And the other side of it is we're going to wait. We're just going to wait it out and play the long game and hopefully eventually a new uh, government will come in to affect here in the US and they will they will remove us from the entity list and everything will be fine. I mean if they go with the the first option of sticking to investing heavily in in Huawei mobile services, they're just not going to be a global player. I mean it's just how it has to be. <laughs> they're they're way too far behind. It's way too late even with the massive scale of Huawei for them to start up their own their own app store and their own ecosystem that will be at all viable outside of the greater China uh, region. They're, you know, they could still have a solid business. We know this. We've seen the the sales numbers of what the the Mate 30 Pro has done, um, just selling, you know, in China. But that's a dramatic scale back from where they are with their positioning elsewhere around the world, pretty much everywhere except for North America, and. It would just seem extreme. I mean, I understand that they they got burned really, really, really hard, but it seems incredibly brazen and uh, unnecessarily uh, outspoken to come out and say, "Oh, well, we we will never go back to Google." Realistically, they will jump at the opportunity to go back to Google if the circumstance is, you know, correct. It, I mean, I don't think that they're going to jump back to it you know, as soon as they have any indication that something's going to change, it has to actually change and they have to actually know, okay, if we come back, this is going to be okay. Right. You know, not, you know, play this back and forth game because that's the real bad situation is if they go back to Google and then they get, you know, put on whatever list they need to be put on that that's not allowed again. And they have to start pulling phones and changing software and things like that. That's where the the problems happen. By the time you hear this, I'll have written 
a bunch of words about my thoughts on this, but I'm going to give you a sneak peek at the title. Huawei needs Google a whole lot more than Google needs Huawei. 100%. I think you're wrong. I, I think if given the chance, you know, okay, you're off the list now, they will run, literally run to the software engineers and say, start putting Google back on and and not care if they can end up on a different list next week. Oh, I see. Your disagreement is over how quickly they will jump back to Google. Yes. They're they're not going to wait because phones without Google on it won't sell in Canada, won't sell in Europe. They can't. They won't. We know that. You put Google back but on they it. They are. I mean, the, the Mate 30 Pro is selling in Europe. But I don't nobody's know in what numbers, them. but they, 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 the, the, the consumers want Google's apps and Google services. If they can put that on the next phone they're going to sell, that's a win for Huawei, even if the phone after that is not allowed to have them. In the meantime, they need to continue to build out their own set of services and their own app catalog, their own app store. They need to look at what HTC and Samsung have gotten wrong in that area, do a better job, and make a phone that, yeah, you know what, maybe I'll buy this anyway. Huawei's apps look pretty good, and their services are kind of the same as what Google gives me. That's the point they need to aim for. Even if it never happens, that's what they need to try to do. Yeah, the thing that Huawei has going for it is just the massive amount of scale and the money that it has to be able to develop. But, I mean, Samsung was a perfect example here. They tried, I mean, both with their wearables and with their phones to make their own app store happen, and it just didn't happen. Right. Even with their size and scale. But then again, they were in a very comfortable position with Google as well. Yes, and, and Huawei can learn from those mistakes, and it it knows that no matter what is on its next phone, it's going to be a hit in China and other parts of Asia. That's, you know, they know they're not going to lose money by making a phone. They just want to make more money like every other company and will just rush back to Google instantly if they're allowed to. So hear me out. There's, there's, this, is, this is my semi-serious hot take. Should Huawei really be investing in another closed platform that they know are not going to they're not going to be able to fill to a sufficient level for a western audience or should they be pushing for the improvement of web apps that they can then they can then sandbox and turn into so-called you know these these kind of like light apps that you can run in a browser window but they'll still be performant enough that you can get the impression that they're native well, that's what Google needs to be doing too, in my opinion. But Google I, yeah. doesn't need to be doing it because it's got an app store full of you know millions of apps. Most of them are not really that good, but it has all the essentials. A company releasing a native fo- a native app for iOS is going to eventually release it for Android. They know that they can take that right. for granted. They've got Java, they've got Kotlin, they have the tools. Huawei doesn't. They 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 just have the money. And where should they be putting that money? But most of the apps in in Google Play would be better as an HTML5 web app. Tw- I'll use Twitter as an example. 
uh, Gmail already is. It's it's an app in the sense of you download and install it, and as soon as you bring it up, it just connects to the internet and displays a web page on your phone, the same as Facebook does. For another great example, those apps are better as dynamic web apps that are made, you know, with the Chrome, the framework around it as the only part of the actual app. Uh, right. Huawei can do that. I'm not saying so. I mean, here's the reasoning, right? Like, there's no nobody's ex, nobody's expecting these web apps to perform as well as native apps, especially well coded native apps. And Facebook learned that the hard way. We've gone from companies wanting to build universal HTML5 apps in web wrappers to native experiences that are built for the platforms. I think everybody agrees that that is actually the route that you need to go. The uh, the flip side here is that Huawei has the brute force, right? It has massive phones with insanely powerful SOCs that can hopefully overcome some of those inherent limitations in web app performance. And I don't think it'll be as bad an experience in 2020 or 2021 as it was five years ago when I phones only had you know two to four gigs of RAM. Well, it may not be as bad of an experience, but Huawei's biggest problem there is that there will be a a handful of other competitive phones that don't have to deal with that, that just have the Google Play Store and have all the apps that you want, and you don't have to think about whether that performance may or may not be the same, or you don't have to think about doing anything different. You can have a Galaxy S9 and go to update uh, to a newer phone, and it's like, well, you can have one phone that just continues to work the way that you want with all of the the services, whether it's Google's or it's some third-party service uh, or app, or you can go and try to do something else and deal with the the headaches of that, even if the end result may not be dramatically different. Like it, this, the services that Huawei puts out and the entire um, ecosystem may work fine, but it's going to be different and it's not going to be Google's, which is what everyone is used to. Right. But all of Google's services are available on the web to some extent. That's what I'm saying. Like, I understand that they will work, but you know what really is great is if you just bought a phone that still had the Google Play Store and it just auto installed all your apps and then you signed in and it worked the exact same way as your current phone. Like right. people are very fickle. They're not going to deal with that. And we see that the the P30 Pro for as good as it is. And everybody I know that has ever even just touched it for a few minutes says, oh, my God, this is a great phone. No matter how good it is, uh, the Galaxy S10 is there and doesn't have the issues around apps that the P30 Pro does. No, the P30 Pro came with came the, the, the Play 30. Store. The, OK, yeah, the Mate 30. I'm sorry. Just to be. Just to be clear, don't yes. send me emails. Don't right. I'm I I don't do much with Huawei phones, so I, I that was my bad. But everybody loves it, Daniel. I'm sure you've seen it and you loved it. You thought it was great, and it's a shame that it doesn't have Google's native apps on it because this would be a great phone for everybody to to have and use. But nobody would want to because the S10 and in a few weeks the S20, uh, they're Maybe they're not as good as the Mate 30, but they're plenty good enough 
and you don't have any issues with apps. So yeah, the the thing about the maturity of the the high end smartphone market is that nobody is dramatically better than than right. anybody else. And so when you're talking about these thin margins, it could be something as simple as this one's a hundred dollars cheaper right now, or this has one specific feature that I need. But you know those differences are not enough to overcome like figuring out how to access all of your your apps and your information and have a bunch of web shortcuts on your home screen rather than just using the Gmail app. Right. Except the Pixel 4, they're all better than the Pixel 4. <laughs> so, but I mean like let, let's so we'll we'll go one step further, right? You package these web apps like regular apps, you know, go go back to the 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 Palm Pre, you know, this this was a platform built on web apps. And I'm just saying that if this was a if if Huawei did this right and they were able to because if if your job with uh, this app gallery is to go to individual developers the way that Microsoft had to do with Windows Phone and say we want you to port your app to Windows Phone, but they had to go with uh, they often had to refactor the entire design to be more in line with with Metro. They had to adhere to the specific developer tools, whereas Huawei, all they have to do is just say, upload your existing APK to our store. That's it. And it does not seem like they're having much success with that. And the the exact same thing happened to Amazon. They said the same thing, just upload your APK. But that doesn't work because everybody's apps are designed around Google Play services. You can't just upload an APK because if your phone doesn't have Google Play services, it just won't work. Right, Right. which is why they have... So here's what I'm saying, right? Huawei says two things. You upload your stuff to the... at the app gallery and we'll help you plug in all of those uh, dots to Huawei, um, you know, to, to the Huawei services, mobile services that we've developed, or you just build a web app version of your, of your uh, existing native app. And you can do everything that the web, that web hooks allow you to do. It's already there. Um, and then we'll just packages, package it up as a, in a sandbox and bada bing, bada boom. I don't know. One sounds way easier than the other. The, the web apps, I, I love them. I think HTML5 apps are the future, except for things that need native code, uh, you, games. Uh, you'll you'll yeah. never, ever get a good gaming experience unless you use, you know, a native SDK for whatever operating system you're, 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 you're writing it for. Uh, there are big, huge gaps that HTML, HTML5 apps will never be able to fill. What about biometric authentication, Jerry? Uh, well, yeah, you could, you could use... Does it handle that fine with uh, just an API call? It depends on... I, I want to say yes, but yes on Android Theoretically, if you're yes. using Chrome. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What it's, about Google Pay? You can use Google Pay in the browser. It works. Yeah, uh, and you can use... You Wait, know, Google Pay in the browser for a- accessing NFC payments? Oh, not for NFC payments, but no. it, it uses biometrics. Right, and it's... Right, okay. That's pretty universal. I, I, know, I, don't, I don't know if it works, but Edge, if they ever would make an Android version of the new Edge, uh, Safari, if it would ever make, you know, if Apple would ever make an Android version of Safari, Firefox, 
They all have the ability to do that, yes. Whether they're doing it or not right now, I'm not sure. Right. So, oh, okay. Obviously, this isn't going to happen. It's they're not. Huawei's not going to no. turn around and go all in on web apps. No. But I do think that the quandary does bring up some interesting uh, points that this, you know, there's there's a push and pull when it comes to Google services, and everybody loves to hate them. But at the same time, everybody needs them to some extent, whether it's the client-facing products like Gmail and Drive, or whether it's the back-end hooks that all your apps require to work properly, right? Maps, um, you know, Calendar, Drive, all of these things that you don't really see when you open up Uber uh, and, and other popular apps like right. that. So it's it's things that we don't really think about that Huawei is contending with, not necessarily the hey app develop you know hey Instagram can you upload your APK to my store? It's a bit more complicated, right? And you hit on 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 the the big thing. Everybody uses Google Apps whether they love them or hate them. Uh, you go look at the top fifty apps on Apple's App Store, and you'll find you know at least ten Google Apps in there. Everybody uses Google Apps. Yeah, for good reason. I mean, they're good quality yeah. free apps. The same way that a lot of people use Microsoft apps. Sure. And I, I don't know. I mean, we're we're in one. It's it's almost like changing banks, right? It's it's not impossible, but it's just really inconvenient. Yep. You know, but if the three of us today decided that we wanted to give up Google or not use Google as our primary provider of these services, we could pretty easily migrate our stuff to outlook we could move over to microsoft's calendar and 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 yeah um all of that stuff we could start using microsoft word and excel and powerpoint they're all in the cloud now it's not like we have to download apps to our phone or i mean to uh to our computers you know these are it's not impossible to do that but it's a it's entropy it's just we're already moving in this direction and why why go backwards why just not backwards in the sense that it's worse, but just why turn around? And I think that's what a lot of people contend with. And our colleagues at Windows Central, they say this all the time. They hate Google. But when we try to get them to articulate why they hate Google, it's, well, well you know, we've been, here, we've been here for 20 years. Why switch now? Or Google's mm -hmm. eating all of your data. Well, so is Microsoft to some extent because they're also an ad provider. Um, they're just less evil about it or just less... Obs they're they're less obtuse about it in a way well articulated yeah all right so i don't know do i want i want to stop it here because i think we've we've done we've done 45 minutes i uh i promised us that we'd be in and out in 30 minutes today and that didn't work <laughs> i think that's never going to happen but it's a but great goal to keep us under an hour i want to keep these episodes shorter because Anecdotally, I have heard that people don't love listening to hour and a half podcasts unless you're like a, you know, a truck driver who just has the radio on all the time. Um, I found that 45 to an hour is a sweet spot, but I want to err on the side of 45 minutes. So we'll start doing that. Um, let us know what you think, podcast and Android Central. Also, let us know that question that I asked right at the beginning. Uh, let us know as well what you thought about uh, the question that I asked at the beginning. Which guests would you like to see on the show? Uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we also love hearing from you about anything you want uh, to add or, or, or take away from the show. Uh, and 
Also, please, if you haven't already, leave a review um, on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. We really appreciate it. All right, that's it. Andrew, Jerry, next week is going to be exciting. Can't really reveal why, but there are a couple of big things that are happening. And no, it's not unpacked because that's the following Tuesday. Stay tuned to Android Central. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming your way. All right, Excellent that's it. Tease. See Adios. you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.